First Timothy, the book of First Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter two. So First Timothy chapter two is where we're going to be this morning. Chapter two. We're going to continue our series through the book of First and Second Timothy. We're still in First Timothy. We're just now getting into the into the meat of Second Timothy and um, I, I just feel like I need to, as we begin this series, or as we continue this, not begin, but as we continue it, when I, as your pastor, say that I affirm or hold to the doctrine of sola scriptura, that is the Latin phrase for scripture alone, I, I genuinely mean and believe that the scriptures alone are the formal principle for genuine, true Christian faith. If we're not holding to the book, if we're not a people of the book, if I'm not a man of the book, we have a genuine problem. And we have to be people of the book. And what we've done in our culture over the last several decades is we've changed from people of the book to people of the culture, people of our feelings, people of what we want. And we're, we're beginning to see what 2 Timothy chapter 4 talks about, where we accumulate people that suit our passions. We have itching ears to hear things that we want to hear. We don't want to hear hard truths. We want to hear palatable ideas and philosophies that make us feel good about ourselves and make us not think about or worry about eternity. So... When, when we open up the word and see what's happening in the book of First and Second Timothy, it's more relevant than, than what's happening in the, the, the daily newspapers or the television news shows. And so as we open these texts together and read these texts together, know that this is just as relevant in 2023 as it was when Paul wrote this to Timothy. Because we know from the scriptures that God tells us that he is never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So all of the things that are taught in this book are actually relevant and applicable to our lives today. So as we continue to study through these, what they're called is the pastoral epistles. How, how churches are set up, why they're set up, what are they supposed to look like. This is the formula. These are the reasons we do the things we do. So the last couple of weeks we saw why we should not allow false teachers into the pulpit because they can stir up confusion and dissension and division within the church. And so this week we start looking at the idea of prayer. We see prayer in the text. So a church that's not a praying church is not an effective church. Amen? A church that refuses to, to go to their knees in prayer over the things that they need to pray over, I'm telling you, that church will not be effective. But I believe that prayer changes things. Amen? One of, one of the most vital things that we must do as a church is we must pray. We must be a people of prayer. So today as we enter the text, we look at who we should be praying for, what we should be praying for, and why we should be praying for them. So let's get started in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge 
I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So the first thing we see in verse 1 is that we are to pray for who? Who are we supposed to pray for this morning? All people. All people. Even the difficult ones. (laughs) Anybody in the room ever had to pray for a difficult person? How many? Maybe you are the difficult person that is being prayed for. Anybody? I'm just checking. All right. Even people that we don't agree with, even people that we don't necessarily like, the scripture calls us, Paul tells Timothy to tell his church, I'm urging you there that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. There's an urging from Paul to Timothy here to make supplications. This is another word for pleading or begging. Coming before the Lord and pleading and begging with God on the behalf of other people. Pleading that God would do a a work in someone's heart. When's the last time that, that you and I as people pleaded with the Lord to do a work to change their hearts from cold, dead, dark, lost sinners to redeemed saints of God? When's the last time we pleaded with the Lord, God, please do a work in Uncle Ed, please do a work in Aunt Susie. Please, like, right? When's the last time we've had those moments? When's the last time we had those times where we pleaded with the Lord to do something specific in someone's life? Well, this is what Paul's telling Timothy. Is, Listen, I'm urging you. As, as the leader of this thing, I'm urging you that you come before the Lord with supplications, with a pleading sense of urgency. And the next thing we see is that we're to be intercessors. We're to be making intercession for other people. Praying for them when they're sick, when they're hurting, when they're in need of healing, when they're in need of, an, of a miracle. How many of us, you've ever been in the moment where you've needed a miracle? You've needed somebody, you needed something. Anybody in the room? A couple of you? And listen, when the saints of the Lord went to, went to battle for you to go pray for your need, how many times has God answered your prayers? Come on, I mean, I'm telling you, God does work in the prayers of His people. Amen? So, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making intercessions. Intercessions on the behalf of other people. We do that so often. That's the reason we've got this prayer list. We've got a prayer list. Not for, it's not a gossip column sheet. It, it's a thing that we can see. Okay, listen, we see that this family's hurting. Let's pray for them in, their, in the loss of their loved ones. This person's sick. This person's emotionally just unwell. This person is needing salvation. This, we need rain. We, like, listen, these are the things that we're interceding for. We're pleading for God to do a work in the lives of people around us. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing. Asking God to do a work in people's lives. Asking for God to do something incredible. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Here's, who, here's more people that we're supposed to be praying for. Verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and diligent in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, we ought to be pl- praying for our leaders, even the ones we disagree with. Those that are in authority, our city, our state, our nation, 
Those people who are leading these places need prayer. The mayor of Cedarvale needs prayer. The governor of Kansas needs prayer. The, the, the president of the United States needs prayer. Amen? I, I'm gonna, listen, I'll be bold enough. He needs prayer that that brother needs to be saved. And I think your governor needs to be saved as well. But that's, that's what we should be praying for. God, do a work in their hearts. Could you imagine if these leaders got on fire for the Lord? What could happen in our nation? Woo! I'm telling you, you say, well, I don't know. Could God save them? If God can save you, he can save anybody. Amen? Come on. Like, that's the truth. Mayors, governors, presidents, congressmen, senators, even pastors. Pray for your leaders. Pray for a Sunday school teacher. Pray for a teacher. Those that are, pray for the principals. Pray for those that are in some type of leadership or authority. What are we supposed to be praying here? That we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly, diligent, dignified in every way. Pray for those men and women to what? Lead peaceful and quiet lives. Listen, we, we need that. Our culture is consumed with chaos and consumed with insanity and consumed with just controversy after controversy. I mean, every head, like that's what sells newspapers, amen? Controversy. So what are we, what are we to be praying for? Peaceful and quiet lives. Listen, it may not be as exciting, but man, isn't it nice to just have a peaceful, quiet, no drama day? Anybody? It's, it's nice, right? Like a dignified life in every way pray for your leaders for wisdom right james chapter 1 verse 5 if any of you lack wisdom you should ask god who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you when's the last time you prayed for wisdom for somebody that's in authority over you when's the last time maybe you prayed for wisdom for yourself the text tells us right here that if you pray for wisdom god gives it Without fault, without, he doesn't, well, all right, hold on, just before I give you wisdom, let me do my check. Listen, what's the text say? If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Ask God to give you and your leaders wisdom on how to lead your lives and how to pursue peace and pursue holiness. This is the idea is that we should be pursuing holiness, coming alongside and praying that God does a work. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 tells us to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. These are things that we should be praying for as people. We should be praying for people to live holy lives. This idea that, that, that pursuit of holiness is some sort of a silly, nonsensical, old idea is dangerous. We should be, as Christians, striving for holiness. Now, I know we're not going to make the mark all the time, but the goal should be to pursue holiness and to strive for peace. Like we should be, what's Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Right? We should be praying for the people around us. Furthermore, political leaders we, we don't agree with still need our prayers. Political leaders that we don't agree with still need our prayers. 
I love that my friend Frank is pleading because he's got connections in D.C. Like that's his dad was like connected in with folks in D.C. And so he still lives in D.C. Frank Shelton, who's preached in this pulpit, he's got connections in D.C. And he is working overtime right now to try to get Hunter Biden on a one on one so he could share the gospel with him. Can you imagine? But man, doesn't that sound like somebody that Jesus is in the line in, in the business of saving? A, a messy, coke dealing, prostitute loving, pagan. That sounds like most of the guys in the Bible, right? And Jesus saves those kind of guys all the time. So, man, I'm praying for, for Frank that he'd get an audience, that he'd be able to get in there and do some amazing things and to see God save Hunter Biden. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be incredible. That's, but that's what we should be praying for. That's what should, that, that lost men and women should be coming to the, to the cross. Woo! I, I pray that God saves our political leaders that are lost. Like legit redeems them from what's in store for them, for those who've rejected the gospel. For those that are rejecting the gospel right now and pursuing other things, what's in store for them is the unbridled wrath of the Lord Jesus Christ for rejecting the gospel. So what should we be praying for? God, please do a work and open their hearts to the the realization of their future, that they would be saved and they would be set free from the shackles and the chains of sin and that they would be able to walk in wisdom and freedom and peace because of your incredible and beautiful gospel. That's what I'm praying for. Which, realistically, like, listen, you say, well, Caleb, are you just praying, praying for one person, one side of the political aisle? No. The, the, real, the realistic idea here is that the most, most of the people in both political parties are lost. Most, Republican and Democrat. Guess what? We all need Jesus, anybody? We all need Jesus. So, what do we do? Verse 5. Let's keep going. We pray for these folks. For there is one God. There is one God. Listen, we live in a culture right this second, right this second that teaches that there are multiple paths to God and that there's multiple roads to God and we're all just on our faith journeys to whatever God we're going to, but they all lead to the same God. But that's a bunch of satanic garbage. Jesus made a very clear declaration, an exclusive declaration. He said, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus made this exclusive claim that he alone is the only pathway to God. So when you get political and celebrities, leaders standing on platforms saying, oh, all paths lead to God. You want to be a Muslim? Cool. You want to be a Mormon? Cool. You want to be a Buddhist? Cool. You want to be a Christian? Cool. All those paths lead to the same God. Hogwash, they do not. If you, This is biblical Christianity. Back to, I am a man of the book. And when, the, when God's word says in John 14, 16, that he is the only way, he's the only way. Jesus is the only way. We see that there in John 14, 16, and we also see it there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God. There's not 
a million gods. Just like, listen, there's only two genders. There's only one God. And we can pretend all day long that there's multiple gods and say, well, there's multiple ways, multiple pathways. We can pretend all day long, but at the end of the day, a zebra can't be a washing machine. Right? It just can't. So there's only one way to get into life. Everybody says, well, Caleb, what if you're wrong? Okay, what if I'm wrong? And there is multiple pathways to God. I'm on one, right? But what if I'm right? I got nothing to lose on my, on, on my side. I got nothing to lose. Now, those that believe that there's multiple pathways to God, they got a lot to lose. And they got a better gambling face than I do because I'm not, I'm not playing those games. I'm not playing. We have no other mediator. We have no other mediator, no other advocate other than Christ Jesus alone. And if we're fixing our hope on anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ, we are desperately lost and in need of a change of leadership in our heart and in our lives. Let's keep going in verse 5. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, fully God and fully man. The reason he's the only mediator is because he came into Our human flesh took on flesh just like us, lived 33 years without sinning. He kept the law perfectly. The Ten Commandments, he kept that law perfectly. And he became the intercessor, the the mediator, the one that stood in the gap on the cross. Jesus took what you deserve. Jesus died the death that you deserved. And as a result of Jesus dying the death that you deserved, laying in the grave for three days and then coming back, we are now are justified before God because of what Jesus did on the Calvary's cross. Christ Jesus, the man God, Christ Jesus, is the one mediator between God and man. So who do we have in, as an inter, intermediate, and as an advocate between us and God? Christ, Christ is the one who says, wait a second, because what, I mean, you've got to remember what the scripture says, that Satan stands before God every day and he accuses the brethren, is what the text says. He accuses Christians. Oh, you see what chance he did? See how shady that guy was? And what's Jesus do? Jesus is the mediator, the advocate. This, whoa, 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 Father, that's mine. He's mine. He's mine. Oh, okay, cool. Case closed. Mine. He's yours. Right? Who get, listen, what's verse 6? What did Christ do? He gave himself, he gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Christ alone is the key to everlasting life. Christ Jesus is the, is the only way. He is the good shepherd according to John chapter 10. In John chapter 6, he says that he is the bread of life that will sustain you forevermore. In John chapter 4, he reveals himself as the water that will quench your thirst eternally. Jesus is the only way that you or I will ever be able to get to heaven. And we are to be praying for all people that we might, that they may be saved as well. This is what a church is called to do. So what is a church, as we study this pastoral epistle, what should a church be doing? A church should be a praying church. 
should be a pleading church that the Holy Spirit would do a work in people's lives. That's what we should be praying for. Pray that God would do a work of redemption in the lives of the men and women that we walk and live around. Verse 7, this is what Paul writes. For this, I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul's telling Timothy here that this is why I have written this letter to come to you and to tell you how the church should be operated. It should begin with prayer, period. If you don't cover this place and our people in prayer, we're going to get into some serious trouble. If you're not a person of prayer, I'm telling you, you're going to be in some serious trouble. We have got to be a people that pray. There is something about the prayers of the saints that does a work that changes the destiny of a church and a people. I don't know what it is or why it is, but man, I'm telling you, it's the truth. Not only do I believe it because it's in the book, but man, I've experienced it. Like, I'll never forget. We were in the hospital with dad one time. And then the doctor just came out and told my brother, and I said, listen, he's going to have to have his leg amputated. And that caused my dad to go through the roof. He, I'm not going to be a cripple. I'm not going to be an amputee. It might, anybody in the room want to be a cripple or an amputee? Nobody's saying, listen, let's chop my legs off. Let's go for it. So dad's laying there. He says, I do not want that leg chopped off. And he just laid there, and, I, and you guys have, Cedric Muteshi, who's come and preached in this church multiple times, Cedric came in about 20 minutes after that, and we told him what was going on, and he said, oh, no, 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 no. And he went to work. Like, I, I, I'm, I was just waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to walk in. That prayer was one of the most powerful prayers I've ever heard in my entire life. And I was just like, whoo. And I'm telling you what, and then he started singing a prayer of healing, an African prayer of healing, a Christian African, because he's from, he's from Kenya, that's where he's from. And so he, starts to be, he begins to pray this prayer and sing this song over my dad's leg as he's holding it. And the nurse comes in, I'm not kidding, 10 minutes later to check the leg for the pulse, and she just goes, ah! And I was like, what? She goes, there's a pulse. I was like, of course there is. You better believe there's a pulse. Come on. God changes things. Like an hour beforehand, he did not have a pulse. He did not have things that working in his leg. His leg was coming off. And Cedric said, no. God, please do a work. I'm telling you, prayer is what we must be doing. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. The bulk of churches in America are in trouble because they have forgotten God's prescription for the church. Because we're not praying, the world is in chaos. The reason we are in such confusion and such chaos is because we do not have biblical people, biblical men standing behind these desks saying, Thus saith the Lord, and calling sin, sin, and calling men and women to repent and believe the gospel. So we've got a nation full of people that don't have a clue. And they're in chaos. 
they're in confusion. And even inside buildings like this this morning, there are, be, there are message, messages that are being proclaimed to the masses that are entertainment-driven messages where we dress up in costumes and come out looking like Buzz and Woody from, from Toy Story trying to be relevant to the culture so we can get more people in. But it's not a message that saves. That's the reason later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, don't waver. Don't waver from the gospel. I charge you in the presence of God. Preach the word. He didn't say, hey, get yourself dressed up in a costume, dance around and do a show tune, and then maybe we'll get people saved. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Period. Period. This is the truth. We, we are not relying on the scriptures to get us where we need to be. We're relying on gimmicks and man-made schemes to get our numbers up and to try to get more people in the pews. Man, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, And when I am lifted up from all the earth, I will draw people to myself. Christ will do the drawing. Quit trying to be a gimmick man or a gimmick church to get things the way you want it done. If we would just read the Bible and apply it and follow it and take it at face value, man, we'd be much better off. Amen? Amen? I'm telling you, this is what we've got to do as a people. That's what we have to do as a people. We have to trust this. And if we, if we set this aside and we try anything else, we might have some sort of physical success by getting more people like listen if i brought a lion on stage and i grabbed it and wrestled this lion and i pulled a cross out of its mouth and said this is for everyone like people would be like "Woo!" you know what the pastor did at that cedarville church last week he had a lion on stage we gotta go what's he gonna do next week right or if i got up here and said listen if we here's the deal we're giving away a Ford F-150, 2023 Ford F-150 next week. Um, but in order, to be, in order to win it, you got to be in the building. Guess what? The rafters would be full. We'd, we'd have to put chairs back here. We'd have to have people sitting up over here. This place would be packed with people. But why? Because they want to hear about the Lord and how to be saved and how to be changed? No, they want a Ford F-150. The gimmicks of our world are a pagan system that we're following to try to get more people in the room because... We've got these pastors that have these egos that want the room filled. I'm going to preach the word if it's just me and my wife. I'm not trying to gimmick our way around here. I'm going to say this is what God's word says and we've got to follow it. If we want to see men and women's lives changed, lift Jesus up. Lift Christ up and let Christ be the one who is the draw. Not the Ford F-150 or the gimmick. Let Christ be the draw. Because at the end of the day, in 10,000 years, I'm not going to have a Ford F-150. I'm going to be in the grave and, and listen, I, Scripture says, we promises we've got 70 years. Anything over that is a blessing from the Lord. There's coming a day when I'm going to be in the ground and my possessions, all my clothes are going to somebody at goodwill. Someone else is going to live in my house. Someone else is going to drive my car. You know who my faith and trust is? In Christ. Because in 10,000 years, who am I going to be standing next to? Christ. What am I going to be standing on? His word. That's the truth. And if we're not, we're in trouble. If we would just read the Bible and take it at face value, 
we'd be so much better off. Amen? All right. 